All right. Today is where we talk about peer review and why we do it. I'm going to give you a little pep talk about what it is and what it is not, and then we're going to do it. So the first rule of peer review is that it's going to feel vulnerable and weird until you get used to it. So just know that if you're feeling vulnerable and weird about it, that that's a normal way to feel and that's not necessarily bad. It's just part of the process, right? But I can tell you and I will promise you that peer review will become your best friend. You will learn to rely on it. You will learn to love it. And it's okay if you're not feeling that right now. But just know that you will see that it is, although it might feel like a process where people are just pulling apart your work that you've spent so much time and effort on, right? It might feel like that at the beginning. What's important, the reason that we do peer review is because it's a psychological fact, right? That when you look at something or you spend time on something for long enough, your brain starts to decide to show you what you meant instead of what you actually wrote. Right? So literally, studies show that when you're looking at a paper with lots and lots of mistakes, you will see what you meant, not what's there. And your brain is working against you when it comes to being a college-level writer. That's just a psychological fact. So in order to circumvent your brain and the way that it lies to you on purpose, right, to save your feelings, the way that it lies to you is we just fix that by having somebody else go through our paper and while we're doing it, we go through somebody else's paper. Thanks. What, um, they can't come ASAP. So just tell them that maybe I'll, I can send down at the end. Uh, yeah, but they can't come. Um, okay, so uh, it's really important to know that you are doing somebody else's service by looking at their paper and they're doing you the same service by looking at your paper. Right? So if you are the kind of person who is thinking that you're going to put in a little bit of effort while everyone else is putting in a lot of effort and you're going to benefit from their effort, but then they get their paper back and they're not going to benefit from your mediocre effort, that's not how we roll. Right? So in this room, right, you put in 100% of your effort and attention to this paper that is going to be in front of you right? You're going to spend the whole entire class period with it. You would expect the same from the person who has your paper. You're going to do the same for the paper that you have. So far, so good. You'll start to lose points on peer reviews if somebody comes to me and they say, I don't know what to fix on my paper because my peer reviewer wasn't specific or they didn't do complete the peer review like you told me. That's going to be a problem for you, not a problem for the person who wrote the paper, right? Because we all need this. It's not like it's a fun idea or a cute little activity. Uh, when we are writing at this level, you simply must have somebody look at your work. It's not possible to do it well without this step. So far, so good? Also, these peer reviews are a way that I ensure your success regardless of your skill level. Right? So think about these peer reviews as insurance. The reason I can say that people can pass my class even if they're bad at writing is because of the peer review process. Right? This is where we catch things. The only time that you're going to suck it up on these big papers is if you don't incorporate and follow the peer review information that you get from the peer review. The other way that you could suck it up on these papers is that you came in here today without your best work, right? I would have, I had a kid last year who said, oh, I'll do the peer review and then I'll run it through Grammarly. That's bringing a paper in that is not your best work. The paper that you were supposed to bring in today was what you are sure is going to score 100% on the rubric that you were given. You're positive, right? 
And when I get your 100% best, I will take what is really about 70%, your 100%, but in reality, 70%, right? And we're gonna bring it up to a 90 or 100%. That's our goal today, right? But again, you're not aware of what the difference between 70% and 100% is yet because you're new to this, so that's my job in the peer review, and the peer review is how I help make you aware of where you're not and where you are. So far, so good? Yeah. Quick question, yeah. How much are we allowed to edit it with Grammarly? We're gonna talk, we'll talk about all of that, but you should edit it within an inch of its life with Grammarly after it's written. You should do everything that Grammarly says for the most part. It'll get weird when we try to quote stuff, but we'll talk about that later. Okay. So you should have come in today with something you're sure is going to get the best grade in the class. Then we'll fix it. With that comes an obligation that you, as somebody who has somebody else's paper in front of them, you know how much time you spent on this paper. Maybe a few of you phoned it in and pooped it out real quick. But I know for a fact that a lot of you spent a lot of time on this silly one to two page paper, like a lot, right? I'm right. So just know that when I give you someone's paper, it might be fun to find mistakes in it, but we don't glorify or uh, rejoice in those mistakes, right? We are here not to ridicule somebody, but to bring them from point A to point B, because that's what somebody else is doing for you. So this isn't some time where we like, oh, I found something to mark down, I'm so excited. I know you think that's what teachers do, but we don't do that either, right? It bums me out every time you poop the bed with a paper, right? So here's the thing. You are correcting this paper with a level of emotional intelligence that is college level, right? Knowing that this person needs this feedback in order to get that grade, right? But that feedback needs to be delivered in a clear, concise, and emotionally intelligent way, right? So we're being sensitive, kind, but honest. Do we understand? And it's going to take a while for us to find that balance. And it's okay if you're not perfect at it. But I do expect for you to endeavor to be a kind and lovely soul while also being honest because you are not being mean when you give feedback in a peer review. You are helping them get the grade that they want. So while it might seem like you're pointing out a big mistake, what you're really doing is helping them get that grade. So you have to constantly talk yourself into, I'm helping, not hurting, because it's going to feel like you're hurting their feelings every time you mark something on their paper. But you have to actively work against that like natural thought process. You are helping. Sometimes help looks like feedback. Yes? So far, so good. Do we have any questions about why we do the peer review, why it's a pillar of this class? We feel like we got it? Okay. With that being said, I'm going to hand you a paper. It's very important that you don't read it. We're just looking at the nuts and bolts of it first. And next, it's very important that while you will see the name of the person on their paper, try to talk yourself out of changing the way you would give feedback based on whose name is on that paper, right? It's natural to like be like, oh, this is my friend. I'm going to feel so bad if they like they might be like mad at me if I mark stuff down, right? Try your best to say, I'm going to give feedback regardless of whose paper I have. Yes? And next, there is no trading of papers. I'm very strategic about how I hand out papers. It's not a negotiable assignment. Yes? Yeah. So far, so good? All right.
Did I? Do one of you have Kennedy's? Are there two copies of Kennedy's paper? No? Okay. Never bring it. Oof. It's rough. It's rough stuff. Okay, cool. I'm going to lay again. Oof. Use a nice paper. Raise your hand if I haven't got just these two tables. Yes. Is there anybody else who doesn't have one? Oh, thank you. Oh, jeez. Okay, about a botch but I didn't. Thank you. Okay. Does anybody have their own paper? Just check. Double check. Okay, with that being said, before you read this paper, what we're going to do is first put that all, all the way away. For the love of all that is holy, we do not check phones during peer reviews. Because remember I said 100%. Everyone deserves your 100%, right? Here's the thing. You're going to say, I don't feel qualified <laughs> to be giving people feedback on their college level paper, right? That's question number one that we all have. You are not qualified to be giving feedback on this college level paper. Guess who is though? Yeah. It me, right? And so I'm not trying to, to tear you down. I'm just trying to be honest with you. You have got to stay with me. Don't think you know stuff. Don't work ahead. Just stay with what I'm saying because I am giving the feedback. You're just the hand. Yes? Okay, so with that being said, let us look at our MLA for, uh, for this paper. A lot of people, made some large mistakes even though I did send videos to you guys but okay some of us are resistant to videos but it will become a problem when I grade it so let us fix that first and foremost oh let me do it on this computer because I have this up. so first in the top right hand corner you should see the last name and a one the top right hand corner you should see the student's last name and a one the last name should be capitalized. The first letter should be capitalized in their name. The one should have no comma in between the name and the one. And it should not have a PG or a PG dot. And most importantly, that name um, and page number need to match the font of the rest of the paper. So if they haven't changed the font of their page number, that means that they didn't change the font of their page number. That also needs to be in 12 point times New Roman. If they haven't changed it, that's a problem. All you gotta do is highlight it and write within the margins exactly what they need to change about it. Keep in mind that it's really important 
that they understand that that page number has to be created with the page number function. That page number has to be created with the page number function. So it has to be, take a look at it, it's got to be closer to the top of the page than it is to the right-hand side of the page. So far, so good? If it's not any of those things, then they've made a mistake. So the page number needs to look like this. Last name, capitalized, first letter, no comma, page number. In 12-point Times New Roman, it needs to have been created using the page number format. Half inch from the top, one inch from the side. So far, so good? Yeah. Check. Here's the thing. I'm going to ask you to highlight so many things on this paper. Never in a million years should you ever highlight without having an accompanying written note right? Having a cute little highlight does nobody any good. So if you're ever highlighting something, you have to be clear with the note in the margin of what they need to fix or what the issue is. Did I see a hand? Yeah. Yeah, just highlight it and say that there's an issue. If it's not at the far right-hand corner, I saw a couple that didn't quite make it over to the right-hand side. They just got to review how to do that page number, right? Yeah. We, uh, that's a great question. I had so much to mention that I forgot to say. Just put them in, a, in, in like an order. I usually start with yellow for MLA for some reason because that's the color of your MLA packet. It's very color coordinated up in here. And then just keep them in a rainbow and then just cycle through them in order just so we're differentiating what they are. So it will be later there will be highlights that go to certain things. But for this one, we're just highlighting and rotating, right? Okay. There should be a four-line heading in the far left-hand side of their paper. Here's the biggest problem I'm seeing that I can see from here, right? Is that they haven't removed the additional spaces between paragraphs. And so their four-line heading is taking up far more space than they should. This might seem like a little nitpicky thing, but then their paper is shorter than the minimum. That's a problem, right? So it it's basically looks like you have padded your paper unnecessarily. So remember I said that your Word document, everything in your Word document is working against you. You have to go in and basically change every preset in your Word document except for the margins. The margins are usually fine, one inch all around, right? So you have to go in and systematically remove all of the extra spaces between paragraphs. So if you look between the paragraphs of your paper, like on this one, this one, this one, that one, that one looks good. Uh, that one, that one, most of them have extra spaces between paragraphs, right? So the heading should just have uh, two point spaces. And on this one, this one's interesting because this person has done it for the body of their paper, but didn't remember to do it for the heading. So it has to be all the lines that have no space, no additional default space in between them. The way you remove that is in the document settings, and I'll go over that at the end of class. So if you see extra spaces between paragraphs, you got to write that. Most papers have it. That one looks good. Just highlight where the space is. It should all just be double-spaced. Every time you push the Enter key in your document, it'll do a double-space plus 0.8 of a space unless you remove that 0.8. So anytime there's additional space, look at your paragraph and see the line between that. That's a regular double-spaced line. And then go look in between the paragraphs. If the space in between the paragraphs is bigger than the normal double-spaced line within the paragraph, you know that they have not removed the extra spaces between paragraphs. 
So you're writing somewhere up in the heading that they have to go and remove all of the extra spaces between paragraphs using the settings of the document. Yeah? So some people might have it in English 10 or CE English 10. Should we have it? It does not have to be exact. I do like it when people put the period because it just is better organizationally, but the period part is optional. If you do put the period, make sure it's a lowercase p and a comma after. But it's okay if you put CE English, English 1010. It doesn't, it will matter later. You have to put the exact course name, but we're not so worried. That's not the hill we're going to die on today. But eventually, you should put what's there, you should put what's on the front of your syllabus pretty much for the rest of time. Yeah? So extra space between paragraphs is a bit, it's most people make that mistake, so don't feel bad if you did. Uh, the four-line heading needs to be there, first and last name, with a space in between, no commas, no reverse order, capitalize the first letter of each name. The next line needs to be some form of my name spelled correctly. Don't misspell your professor's name. It's not going to go well for you. For me, it's fine, but I just am trying to train you the things that will set your professors off in college, right? You can call me Mrs., you can just say Hernandez, you can put my honorific, which is an M-E-D, but uh, just something there. Some teachers are real particular, though, so your best bet is to look on your syllabus, and the name there should be the name that appears on the front of the syllabus that the professor gave you, right? Then next should be the name of the class. It's okay if you have any class, just as long as proper nouns are capitalized, like the word English and the initials C-E that stand for concurrent enrollment. And then the date always goes in small, medium, large order. Small, medium, large order, and no months are abbreviated in the date up here. They are in the work cited citation, but not in the four-line heading. So day, month, year, and usually it's the due date of the paper that's there. So if you put today, that's fine. If you put the final due date of the paper, that's fine, just as long as it makes sense. No commas. So if they have any commas and dates or they have the information in the wrong order, it's wrong. It can be, but it will eventually in college be the date that it was due because in future classes, nobody's going to walk you through steps like I do, right? You'll probably, well, you'll just put the due date on it for the most part, but we don't quibble about that because there's several little due dates that lead up to the big due date. You get it? But eventually it'll just be the due date that's listed in the syllabus, right? With that being said, it's really important then to look at the space between the heading and the title. It should be the same amount of space as there is between the lines of the paragraphs. It should be no more space than just between the lines of the paragraphs. So if your person already has extra spaces between paragraphs, the space is going to be too big, and that's just going to be fixed when they go in and they remove all the extra spaces between paragraphs. We'll talk about it again. I showed you last time, but there was so much. That would just go over it again. It's so many things, right? Their title needs to be centered. Their title needs to not be underlined, not be bolded, not be italicized. Every important word in the title needs to be capitalized. It should never be in all caps. It should never be a different color or a different font size. 12 point times New Roman. So far, so good? There should never ever be punctuation at the end of the title. So if they put a period or a colon here, no. The only reason the colon can go in the title is if it's a two-part title, like they say, I say, colon, the moves that matter in academic writing, right? But it should never be punctuation at the end. There should definitely not be any first or second person references in that title. So if they put something in like my grit journey, my is a first person reference. Pass, not necessary, take it out.
why we need grit, we is a second person perspective, take it out. Just title it without any perspective or from third person perspective. So instead of why we need grit, it's why grit is important, right? Why grit is necessary. So far, we made it at the first part of the page. Are we so excited? We're almost getting in there. Isn't that going to be fun? So then look at the space right after the title. And make sure that there's the same amount of space from the title to the first line as there was from the heading to the title. The same amount of double space that there is between every line, no exceptions. Then you need to check that they have indented every paragraph. There should be no extra space between paragraphs. <clears throat> and now we get to that dreaded works cited page. First and foremost, if they don't have a works cited page and they had turned it into me like that, they get an automatic zero on their paper. It is not okay to turn in a paper without citations when you use somebody else's ideas in it. It's real bad to do that, right? So if they first and foremost do not have a works cited page, <laughs> it's bad. The next thing is that the works cited page simply must be on its own page. So if they try to save room by shoving it at the bottom of the second page, that's wrong. That is a hard pass, hard pass. We like to waste space and waste paper in MLA. So the top of the fork sided page should always look like this. It should have a last name and then a two or a three. Yeah, a two or a three in this position. No commas capitalized in 12 point times in Roman, right? And then the s no extra spaces between this line and work cited should be l exactly one inch from the top of the page. <laughs> nice. One inch from the top of the page. And then their citation should start one line down, no extra spaces. Their citation, if there were more than one citation, should be in alphabetical order according to the first letter of the last name of the author. All of their citations should have a hanging indent. And the citation itself should be double-spaced. I saw a lot of single-spaced citations, right? So there should be a same amount of distance from works cited to the first line as there is from the first line to the second line of the citation. Your URL for the citation, it might get super wonky as you're trying to format that. We, I can help you look at a few things for that, uh, but sometimes the URL wants to be all together so it'll pop over to the next line. That's fine, but every line after the first line has to be hanging indented. So if their citation went over to three lines, both of the secondary lines need to be hanging indented. So far so good? Their URL should be hyperlinked. Double check that. URL should be hyperlinked and at the end of that URL there should be a period yeah it could mess with the hyperlink I guess MLA doesn't care so there should be a period at the end of the citation right and then their citation should look like pause pause please oh and double check that their whole citation is in 12 point times new Roman as well people really be like to put in their citation in the wrong font 12 point times your Roman. Just compare it to the rest of the paper to check that. 
and double check this citation, literally every period, every comma, every space should be exactly as it is here. Well, if it were here, which is a little unsettling. Let's see. Does it have to be what? Black. Yes. Uh, the URL does not have to be black, though. So don't look at this. This, this page is missing the page number because Word hates you, right? Uh, but it should look just like this, exactly like this, every period, comma, exactly as written. So if they put the URL to a YouTube video, that's a problem because you've said it's from the TED-Ed website. So you had to have gotten the TED-Ed website's URL because those two things have to correspond. Yeah? What the difference is? Let's see. Like I think they're in Times New Roman and everything. Yeah, it looks fine to me. So that's fine. Except for that. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. Um, make sure that you're also double checking the, the punctuation, like the period is inside the parentheses. Normal things that people miss are the italicization, commas here, that the date is in the correct order, and that I think that's pretty much what people usually miss. So far, so good? Yeah. Um, there's no quotations in this one, right? We don't take, yeah, we weren't supposed to take quotes from the video and put them in our paper. We'll talk about it, though. Talk about it, though. So far, so good. Yes? Yeah. So now, on the rubric, I want you to go to their MLA score. There's one more component of MLA that we're going to talk about. We'll get to that in a second. So take a look at their MLA score and give them a score where it is now. There's one more component that we're going to look at in the text. But for now, get an idea of where their score is on MLA. And remember, for MLA, it's that the guidelines are meticulously followed in terms of page formatting and the works cited page. No in-text citations or source introductions. Oh, and we'll talk about that. So did they comply with just the basic page formatting for MLA? Did they comply with the works cited citation rules for MLA so far? That's what you ask yourself. Next, we go into the actual text itself. So take out that outline that I gave you. I think it's blue. You will. We're still talking a little bit more about MLA. There's still two more factors that we look at. So can anybody tell me, based on what we've learned so far, what are the two things that happen MLA-wise inside the text, like in the paragraphs? What are the two MLA things that we have to think about outside of the page formatting and the works cited page? In-text citations is one of them. We're going to talk about that in a smidge, right? And then next, what is the other thing that you would have to follow? Oh, the that's, that's a really, really, that's more of a style issue more than an MLA issue. But yes, we're going to focus on that too, but not quite yet. So if you use the title of Angela Duckworth's TED Talk in your text, like Angela Duckworth gave a TED Talk, entitled Grit, The Power. If you put that title in the text, that title has to be formatted correctly in MLA, meaning that in the text it appears capitalized where it's supposed to be capitalized, and it's in quotation marks. So now skim through before you read it. Skim through and see, did they put the title 
of the talk anywhere in there, and if they did, they needed to have put it in quotation marks and in standardized capitalization. So just do a quick skim. That's perfect. It's just that there's no S. <laughs> Everything else is perfect, though. They even put the punctuation in the right spot. Yeah, this this is a spelling error. Yeah. So, anyone understand the title should be quote? Oh, yeah. So listen carefully. This is a this is something that confuses people at the beginning. Your title of your paper, the one that appeared at the top right under your heading, should not be in quotation marks, right? That's your title. The title of somebody else's work should always be formatted in either italics or quotation marks, always in standardized capitalization, right? So if you put her title in there, it has to be an MLA. Your title is just standard up there at the top because you're not, anytime you're using somebody else's work, that's when MLA comes into play, right? The next thing we need to think about is in-text citations. Now, I think the way that I wrote this rubric is a little confusing. What I meant was no direct quotations. But what I said was no in-text citations. So if they don't have in-text citations right now, it's not a bad thing. But when you go to revise your paper, you must always cite the ideas of other people that you're using. You're not allowed to use direct quotes, so you couldn't take her exact words and put them in your paper, right? But you can paraphrase what they said, right? So if you took an idea out of her TED Talk and you put it into your own words, even though it's in your own words, it's still her idea, right? So we're not going to have quotation marks around the paraphrase because it's your words, but it's still her idea. So at the end of a sentence where you used her idea, you still have to put an in-text citation. And we wrote down that in-text citation the last time we were in class. And it looks like this. and then a timestamp to where that moment happened. And then whatever punctuation happened in that sentence, it's naked in front of the citation and left after the citation. So if they did do an in-text citation, double check that there's no floor punctuation before it, no comma, no period, no exclamation point, and that they saved whatever punctuation for that sentence was happening until after the citation. No floor punctuation until after citation. Yeah? If, if they put the name Yes, because we still need this. Okay. And we'll talk about that more, but kind of yes. Okay. The easy answer is yes. Okay. But there, there are caveats, but I don't want to confuse people. Um, yeah. Okay. The in-text citation, even if what you're talking about, even if their idea was back in the middle of your sentence or at the beginning of your sentence, in-text citations always go at the end of the sentence, no exceptions, right? Even if something happened at the beginning of the sentence that you're referencing, it's always within that sentence at the end of the sentence where the citation goes. So far so good? Yeah. Just make sure that you spell the author's name right. There's no S in Ducksworth. Ducksworth. It's Duckworth, right? Yeah? Um, then, right, those are that. Now we have officially covered all the MLA stuff, right? In-text citations, titles of other people's work and our work, Works cited page and page formatting. That's all MLA stuff. If they have zero mistakes at all with any of that, they have mastered it, right? If they have literally just one minor mistake, they're proficient. Anything else, more than one tiny mistake, it's either needs improvement or not a, like beginning proficiency. 
So now circle apart on the rubric that they earned. And again, you're not being mean. You're just being honest because they get a copy of this and they're going to go fix it. I am not taking the grade that you give them, right? They are just getting points for turning it in today, turning in their best work today. That's all, right? It's after they apply this that they get points from me based on how well they did, right? So be as mean. It doesn't do you any good to be nice on the rubric because then they won't know where to fix it. So be accurate on the rubric so they can take it home and fix it. And then their new rubric that I grade is going to be gorgeous. Yeah. Yes, because we still need a timestamp where that idea happened, right? Um, there is a longer answer to that, but I just don't want to confuse people. So even if you said Angela Duckworth's name in the sentence, you still need to cite it at the end of the sentence. There are caveats to that, but for now, this is just the least confusing way to talk about it. Yes? Okay. What we really need to get in the habit of is none of us have been careful enough up until this point about giving people credit for their ideas, right? So at the end of the day, it's always way better to oversight rather than undersight because anytime you undersight, it is what? Plagiarism. Plagiarism, right? So it's always better to cover your butt even if it gets weird, right? There was <laughs> the, the first year I was teaching this class, the, the, the person whose work we used was C-O-X, Cox. That was their name, right? <laughs> and so I was like, this whole paper is a summary of their work. So you should be citing them throughout the paper. There should be all over this paper. That's what I said out loud. And then I laughed and no one else did. Oh. <laughs> it was super awkward. <laughs> you get it. <laughs> but just imagine that embarrassing moment and always remember it's better to have that author's last name just littered throughout your paper than it is to undersight and plagiarize. So far so good? Yeah. Okay. We will learn the nuances of that as we go on. But for now, it's always better to be just ridiculously safe than it is to be sorry. So far, so good? Yes. Let's get to the actual content of the paper. Was this not fun? We've been working so far for 35 minutes. It's fine. It'll get faster. This part will get faster, right? So we need our uh, blue paper out in front of us. And it doesn't matter what color you apply to these portions, but the sections of the paper are we're going to be different colors. So right now we've moved on to, did they do the stuff that they were asked to do? So we're going to identify the different grading points on it and make sure they did it. So you're going to highlight that thing and then you're going to say whether or not you think it was done effectively, right? So it's possible for them to attempt one of the parts of this outline, but poop the bed with it, right? To not do a good job with it. So we're highlighting where we think they tried to do it and then we're giving a note saying whether or not we think they did it well, right? And I'll talk to you about what well means. So far, so good? So the first thing is that they need to remain in third person throughout the whole first section. So before we talk about anything else, go through their first paragraph and see if they've said I, me, my, our, us, your, anything like that in the first section. So take your finger, literally scan. This first section, it was very clear they needed to remain in third person completely objective and removed. So you scanned? Okay. Is there there is, is a third person pronoun. It's fine. Yeah. Yeah. So do we only highlight those mistakes or just highlight those For now, if you see perspective mistakes, highlight it and write a note. So always highlight it, write a note, draw a line to it, write in the margin if you need to. 
but never should there be first person or second person references when you're saying something objective, right? We'll talk way more about this, but for now, that's just the quickest way to check. And now, in like whichever next color of highlighter you have, I need you to highlight everywhere you think that they are attempting to do this. They gave a general introduction of grit and what it is. What is grit? If they incorporated what Angela Duckworth says about grit, that's fine. But the first thing that they needed to do, and they need to do it in the order that it is listed, right? First thing they need to do is explain what grit is in third person objective perspective. Yeah. So I'll highlight the whole block where they're explaining what grit is. Don't highlight where it explains why grit is essential. That's separate. So first, you highlight, so on this blue sheet, we're on this first row here, right? And there's two separate tasks that they need to do in this first section. The first one is explain what grit is. The second thing that's separate, we're not covering it yet. The second thing is why grit is important, right? So we're just first finding where they're explaining what it is. And what's really hard for people is they write a paper thinking that I am the audience and I already know what grit is, so they're not specific about what it is. Anytime you write a paper in this class, your audience is not me, right? I already know all this stuff, right? Your audience is a college-age person who hasn't read the text or watched the video, right? So you have to explain it as if you were explaining it to someone that doesn't know about this, right? So as you're reading their explanation of grit, do you think their explanation of what grit is is sufficient to explain it to somebody who hasn't watched the video? Give them that feedback in the margin. So do you think that this is a thorough and accurate description of what grit is? And do you think that someone who didn't watch the video, who's never heard of the concept before, would walk away from this section knowing what grit is? If no, you need to give them feedback about that. Yeah? Um, I just have a question about this is explaining what You tell me. And so here's the thing. You're going to have so many times where you want to raise your hand and you want to ask me what's right and wrong, right? But at the end of the day, my goal is not to have you ask me. My goal is for you to figure it out because I'm not coming with you to college. I know that you're all very sad about that, like you would like to keep me with you. I love that for you, but it's not going to work. So what I'm asking you to do first, I'm not saying don't ask questions. What I'm asking you to do first is see if you can arrive at a reasonable answer without me. And if you really feel like you can't, I will definitely come look at it. But my whole goal is to teach you not to need me. So sometimes we have to make executive decisions. If for some reason the person who got your paper disagreed with your feedback, they could choose to not follow it right? But it's still better for you to figure out a definitive answer without my help than it is for you to, like, it's better for you to be wrong and have, be definitive than it is for you to be right and need me. Do you see what I'm saying? I'm trying to teach you to not need me. You're going to write all the rest of your papers in college without me, right? So you have to be able to figure out for yourself, does it do the thing, right? So the next section, we're still on this introduction, right? The next thing you're going to say highlight in a different color, new color, is explain why grit is an essential component for success inside and outside of school. 
and it asks them specifically to support this idea with details, examples, and elaboration. So now they've explained what grit is. Now, highlight where you think they're explaining why grit is important to have in school and outside of school. But make sure they didn't do it in second person. So they shouldn't say, we students should have grit. They should say, students should. Right? Third person. So first they explained what it was. Now they're explaining why it matters. And it specifically asked them to support their ideas with details, examples, and elaboration. So if they have one sentence about why grit is important, do you feel that that's sufficient? Could one sentence cover details, examples, and elaboration and still be a clear and concise sentence? Probably not, right? So we're looking for not only why is it important, but examples, details, and elaboration. And never ever have a highlight without it being accompanied by a comment. Even if you think they did a great job, just put, I think this fits the requirement really well. If you have a question, probably other people do too. So what is it? Um, so wait, you just told us to highlight like, you know, where they say this, even if there's nothing to Yeah, yes, yeah. So I, what we're doing now is doing two things at the same time. We're identifying where they did it, and we're evaluating how they did it. So yeah, so if they did it, and you think they did it well in the margin, you should say, I think this fits the re assignment requirements, right? Yeah, no problem. If you have a question, you, you're probably not the only one, so don't hesitate to ask, especially when we're learning how to do this thing. It's a lot, right? Okay, so this should be the ending of their first idea. They should be transitioning, they should be transitioning into the next section of their paper. If they're transitioning from what is grit and why it matters to here's how I used grit last year, don't you think that they would need to guide the reader through a big shift of information like that? And what do we use when we're trying to guide the reader through shifts in information in our paper? Transition words and phrases, right? So at the very least, at the beginning of their next idea or the beginning of the next paragraph, they should have some sort of transition word or phrase. If they're just coming in hot with the information, they haven't followed the instructions. Right? Because in college level writing, we use transition words and phrases to guide our reader gently through our ideas, even if we're making big leaps from what is it to how I did it. Right? We're using transition language. So if they don't have transition language there, write a note. Say, you should put some transition language here. Can we well, if there's nothing to highlight, you can just put an arrow and write a little note in the margin. There should be transition language here. Yeah, so if any time, so whatever, we're, whatever I'm saying to do, you want to identify it first thing. Okay. If they don't have it, great. If they do have it, highlight it. Then, once you highlight it, yeah, everything I'm saying will just always be a new color and then you'll rotate it, right? So if they do have it, highlight it because then you still have to evaluate whether or not they did it well, right? So they could have used transition language here but it could be weird or awkward transition language. So they did the thing, but they didn't do it well. So we're doing two things at the same time. We're identifying whether they did it and then deciding whether or not we think they did a good job. 
which is totally reasonable if they didn't do a good job, right? So next we're going into the second section where it says this section should be written in first person perspective, but it should still remain formal and elevated. It should be clear and concise, right? But this section, they were supposed to do two things. So we're gonna need two different highlighters, two separate things we're identifying, right? Quick question. Uh, Over here. Right there. They have to do two things. They have to, let's listen to the two things first so we know how to separate them. It's describe your personal level of academic success throughout your junior year. Use details, examples, and elaboration. So first, were you successful last year? Use details. And then the next task was to analyze how their level of grit created that le level of success, right? So if they sucked it up last year, how did the level, their level of grit contribute to that suckage, right? If they were awesome last year, how did their level of grit contribute to that awesomeness, right? So two separate things. First, highlight where they talk about whether or not, how, how their year went yes, last year as a successful student or not successful student. So in your first color, you're gonna say where they describe their personal level of academic success last year. And you're also highlighting the examples and elaboration they are using to describe that. Yeah? Um, so, um, just out of curiosity, if the person who wrote the essay like, did not mention anything about their junior year and like grit, and like using grit in their junior year, um, should we just put like a note in like the margins? Yeah. So anywhere information is missing, just put an arrow to where it should be. And then you'll reflect that in the rubric and that's why it's separate in the rubric. We'll talk about that. So again, you're highlighting how were, you know, their level of academic success last year and describing what that was, right? Yeah. So in first person, it's just like me or your? No, your is second person, yeah. right? So anytime you want to say your in academic writing, like your level of success is determined by your level of grit, we would switch that into third person by saying one's level of success depends on one's level of grit or a person's or an individual's level of grit, right? Yeah. You said we just have different letters for them to Yeah, just every new thing, yeah. talking about how grit so we're going, that's why we have this blue sheet in front of us. Everything in this second box here under the second paragraph is going to be in this current color, right? Yeah, no problem. So everything in the second, we're just dividing the colors by boxes is basically what we're doing here, right? So in this current color, you're, you're highlighting where they've described their level of success and you're highlighting the details that they use to describe their level of success, right? That's in one color because it's in one box. And at the end of the day, if you're getting the colors wrong, it's really the least of our worries. So don't, don't be too upset about the highlighter colors. What really matters is that you've identified whether or not they did it, and then identified whether or not they did it well. So after you've identified that piece, ask yourself, did they use appropriate elaboration and detail to describe their level of academic success? Did they do that thing? And then ask yourself, if they did that thing, did they do it well? Right? Remember, they have to be clear and concise about it so they can't go on forever. But they need to have enough detail that they're not just speaking out of turn saying, I was successful last year, period. Right? We need to give reasons why they thought they were successful. Right?
So after you've highlighted it, give them some feedback on whether or not you think they did that well. Or if they don't have it, they just don't have it. And so what I do during a peer review is I just walk around and I'm grading your work as a peer reviewer as I'm observing you, right? So there's nothing to turn in for the peer review, right? I just am watching. That's all. Not in a creepy way, just in a I'm watching way. That's better. So the next box over under paragraph two, we're doing a separate thing that's still related to that because it's in the same paragraph, but a separate thing. Now we're going to need a new color of highlighter. And for reference, if you're looking at your blue sheet... It's what's in the third box over, under paragraph two. And now we're going to highlight where we think that they did this. Analyze, excuse me, how their grit affected their success. Their lack of grit or their having of grit affected their level of success in school. So separately, first they said whether or not they were successful. Now we're looking at them analyzing why or why not in terms of success. Their level of grit as it correlates with their level of success. And then it says, be sure to provide examples, details, and elaboration to support your ideas. So that topic, that task, as well as the details that go along with it are all in one color. Why, how come you have that face? Huh? Do you have question face? No. Oh, okay. You, you do though, but you are having question face. Did you have a question? It's okay to ask it. Okay. So, it's okay. We're all learning. It's a lot. Right? So, this paragraph should have two colors in it. And you should, they should have feedback on two different skills. How they were successful, how that success relates to grit. Two skills. And when, we're, when you're done with that, it doesn't look like you're done with that, so we're going to pause. Wait. Yeah. So, yeah. Do you highlight each sequence in a different color? Yeah, so, oops, no. Okay, so this whole thing, this whole task right here is in one color. So both what is it and the examples that I used to exemplify it, right? Mm -hmm. And then in a new color, my level of grit and how it affected my success. So everything in this box is going to be green, both the details and examples and whether, like, them analyzing their success, oh, right? I thought you were talking about the next paragraph, this one. Oh, not yet. We're not there oh, yet. Okay. We're stopping here. We're stopping here. Okay. So here's what we're doing. Go Now go to your white rubric. This is where you're giving them feedback, right? And you're going to go to... We've done two rows already of the content of the paper, right? So the first row says introduction and conclusion. We haven't got to the conclusion yet, so we'll hold off on this, but this is where you're going to grade that introduction that you've already double-checked. The most recent one we've done is reflection on junior year, right? So the reflection on junior year was exactly that. Were they academically successful? How did grit relate to that? So the two things that we just did in paragraph two that's what you're grading in this rubric row. So it's just saying, does it describe that? Does it analyze how the grit was a factor? Did they use appropriate examples and details? And now you ask yourself, did they do it in that did they do that in a sophisticated way? Did they do that in a proficient way? Did they do that in an incomplete way? Are they missing any of those components? Or did they do that in a really incomplete way where they're missing a whole lot of those requirements? So 
I would hesitate to give anybody on a peer review a mastery ever, unless you think it was perfect, right? I think anything from a proficient to beginning proficiency is about right. If they didn't have it at all and they completely skipped that section, that's when you give them that zero. Not because we're being mean, but because they just didn't have it. It's important for them to see what their grade would have been if they would have just turned it in without the peer review component, right? So now we're moving into the next section, which on your blue sheet on the outline side is paragraph three, and on the rubric is that next line down. So moving to new colors. So this next section should still be written in first person because it's about them, right? And there, we're doing two specific things here. It can all be in one color though. So describing at least two specific ways in which you plan to apply. It might be easier for us to separate the ways so we can make sure they have two. So let's do it this way, n new plan. So they're supposed to describe at least two specific ways that they're going to apply grit to their school life this year, right? And for each of those specific ways, they're supposed to use details, examples, and elaboration for that, right? So why don't we have one color be way number one and the details that support that? and the second color be way number two and the details that support that. I think that might be easier for us to delineate those. Yeah. I'll bring it to you. So they're supposed to have two separate ways. And again, anytime a professor is telling you exactly how many of a thing, you better have that many of a thing, no more, no less, right? So two specific and separate ways that they're going to apply grit to school this year. So if they just say, I'm going to apply grit to school this year, is that specific? Is it specific? No. no. If they say, I'm going to apply grit to school this year by having good time management and not turning things in late, that's specific, right? I'm going to apply grit by asking for help when I need it. That's specific, right? So find the two different ways that they've selected to show grit this year and separate those two different ways in two different colors so you can see if they have details for both of them. So I just hesitate to make length like ultimatums. Okay. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Do you think that they did those two things in one sentence? Did they do them well? If you can say yes to that, it could be an amazing sentence, right? So think less about the length of it and more about did they do the thing? Did they tell you, specific? was it specific how they were going to incorporate it? And did they use what it says here, appropriate details, examples, and elaboration? Okay. So it's fine if they attempted it but they didn't do it well, right? So you can say in the margin, I see that you did this thing, but I think you should add more detail, right? That's totally fine. So again, we're doing two things at once. Did they do it? And then did they do it well? Two separate things that we're looking at.
And just to follow up on what we were talking about before, like you want to ask me, did this, is this right? Is this good? Right? The other thing I want you to ask yourself is, you wrote this, you did this assignment yourself. You know this assignment as well as the next person, right? You do have the expertise to say that they did that component or they didn't do it well, right? And if it wasn't apparent to appear, then it's probably not clear enough for me either. Do you know what I'm saying? So if you can't find it or you don't think that it's there, you don't think it's done well, then it probably won't be nearly good enough for me either. Does that make sense? So you can safely give feedback on that is what I'm trying to say. Okay. The problem with this is that there's two different skills going on at one time. We're supposed to use elaboration and detail, but we're also supposed to be clear and concise. So we're always walking that line of, we don't want to get too wordy, too verbose, but we want to fulfill the assignment by offering what it's asking us to offer. So finding that balance is something that you're going to learn throughout the whole year and you don't have to be perfect at it yet, right? But it might mean that you take two sentences out of the first paragraph because they were just repeats and reworded repeats of something you already said in the first paragraph so you can make room to have more detail later on where it counts, right? So it might just be taking out information where it wasn't needed to add more information where it is. Okay, so now applying grit to your senior year, go to the white rubric and give them a grade what they were supposed to do. Oh, actually, we got to do both rows there. My bad. It's grading both. Okay, so, um, and then in paragraph four, we're still talking about the future. We're still talking about how we're applying grit, but we separated it with applying grit to school and applying grit to outside school, right? And that's one whole rubric row. So now, it just is the same as before, except for they're supposed to say exactly two ways, specific ways, that they're going to apply grit outside of school. So if they said something like, I'm going to apply grit to my job, is that specific? It's not specific, right? But if they said, I'm going to apply grit to my job by making sure that I do each task to the best of my ability, that's specific, right? Or I'm going to apply grit to my home life by doing my chores that my parents asked me to do without being asked. That's specific, right? But saying I'm going to apply grit to my friendships is not specific, right? So if they explain how they're applying it to their friendships, so say I'm going to apply grit to my friendships, not specific. But if I say I'm going to apply grit to my friendships by talking out uh, disagreements rather than letting it slide, that's specific. Does that make sense? Yeah. So if they like say it like vaguely but then like explain the next sentence? Oh, that's totally fine. Yeah, this is a great question. So he's saying what if they say it, I'm going to apply grit to school, period, and then in the next sentence they expand on that. That's fine. It doesn't all have to ever be in one sentence. We're just talking about the chunks of ideas, right? So if it takes them three sentences to fulfill that the details and specificity, that's okay. So overall, they should have four different ways that they're going to apply grit to their life. Two for school, two for outside of school. And they should have specifics and details for how they're gonna do that for each thing. So far, so good? So now we go to the white sheet and we give them a score for the third row down that just talks about future application of grit.
And in that row it says, did they do two things for school? Did they do th two things for home? And were they all specific? Were they all detailed? So if they did two things for school but only one thing for home, it's still approaching proficiency. You can't say that it's proficient unless they did all the things. Right? And then you can't say that it's mastery unless they did all the things and did all the things beautifully. Right? If they're missing any of those components, it's automatically not proficient. Because baseline, right, they attempted all the components. If they talked about four things and they did that part, but the things that they talked about, some of them are detailed and some of them weren't, that's proficient. They attempted all of it. It's there. It just wasn't great, right? And that's where you would give them feedback in the margins where they can improve that and make it mastery, right? So it's not enough just to do all the things. You have to do them, which is proficient, and then do them well, which is mastery. We understand? So far, so good? So now we have a conclusion. And here are the things that we're supposed to do in the conclusion. And in my opinion, this is always the hardest part of a paper, right? So it's basically asking us to bring now this paper into a larger conversation. So I've been talking about me for two, three paragraphs. Now I'm going to talk about the larger conversation again like I did in the introduction. So we're going to bring it full circle again, right? So in this conclusion, and we're, you're going to read about this in the next chapter that you talk about in chapter uh, seven that you read at the end of next week, right? You basically need to tell us, okay, that's great. Grid is important and you're going to do it. Yay. But why should I care? Why do I care? Me, as a reader of your paper, if I'm not interested in the daily happenings of your life, why should I still care about grit? Why does it matter to me? But the challenge in the conclusion is what perspective does the conclusion need to be written in? Third person. So you can't say, you should have grit. You can't say, we should have grit. You can't say, I should have grit. We have to talk about society as a whole. And it's real hard language-wise to say one should have grit. All individuals in our society should have grit. It automatically sounds pretentious and stupid, but that's what we're going for at the end of the day, right? So the overall conclusion needs to be in third person. So go through their conclusion first thing and check for any I, me, my, our, us, you. I, me, my, our, us, you. Double check those. Those are first person and second person references. Yeah. So in the last uh, paragraph of the essay, yeah, and it specifically says that. So if, if a teacher ever gives you something super specific where it takes you step by step through, you better have read and carefully followed all of those steps, right? So here I told you exactly what perspective to work in within that paragraph, right? And again, it's not always going to be this micromanagey, but as we're starting out, we really got to think about all these separate skills very specifically because it's really hard. We're doing a million things at once. Remember the octopus eight game? Remember that? That's this. You're doing a thousand things all at once, right? So then the conclusion should have a restatement, not a verbatim copy, but a restatement in rephrased why grit is essential. So get a new color of highlighter and find in their conclusion where they repeated in a rephrased way why grit matters. And it shouldn't be why grit matters to me. It should be why grit matters on a larger scale, like a societal scale. Why grit matters to my community, my society, right?
So find a place where they talked about why grit matters, but they had to do it in third person. Why does grit, mat grit matter on a larger scale? A conclusion is always about, you've looked at the smaller picture, now look at the larger picture, right? The smaller picture was your own life. The larger picture is a societal scale, right? So first highlight where they restated why grit is important. If they want to re-mention Angela Duckworth, that's fine. They need to cite her though, right? Then the next thing in the next color that they need to do for the conclusion is answer that, that third box in under the conclusion. It says, give your paper a mic drop ending that serves to convince the reader to apply grit in their own life, but don't do it in second person. So don't talk to the reader in your writing ever. So don't ever say, you should have more grit, right? Say, individual members of our society or individual members of Viewmont High School student body, right? Whatever big picture you want to go for, you have to talk to the reader as a group, as a whole, and not personally. So no, you should have grit, and not we should have grit, but the student body of Umont High School should have grit. American society should have grit, right? No, we, our, us, your, those are second person pronouns, and no, I, me, my, nothing like, I put grit into my life and you should too. That's a first person and a second person reference in the same sentence, right? You gotta keep it all third person. And remember when I said, it's much easier said than done. It's so much more difficult to do what I'm saying than it is to just talk about it. It's so hard to write in third person when you're talking about a group that you're a part of. It's real difficult. And what's really important about a conclusion is that they, you can't introduce any new information. You also can't introduce any personal information when you're trying to do a conclusion that talks about a bigger picture. In this class and in most classes, a conclusion will always be taking it from the smaller microcosm of it and moving it to the macro. So it should always be about the bigger picture in a conclusion. Yeah? So on the very last paragraph, on the last sentence, they're in first person. Should they try to stay out? Or they should they shouldn't try. They should definitely not be in, third, in first person. They first should be person. in third person. Okay. Period. Yeah. There should be no first person anywhere in the conclusion, right? But what's important is that first person violation or any type of perspective violation is a violation of style, not of content, right? So when you're grading them on the rubric, if they used first person, don't mark them down for the content of the conclusion. You're marking them down in the style area where we're talking about issues of perspective. So when I'm grading you, I never double ding. If you make one mistake, I'm not going to ding you down for the same mistake in two different areas. Never. Right? So at the end of the day, pick one area to ding them for that mistake, not two. But if they have the content and they just use the wrong perspective, give them credit for the content. Right? So for the conclusion and the introduction, what it's asking for at the very top is that the introduction provides an overview of grit and explains why it's essential. And the conclusion rephrases and restates the importance of grit and expands the overall conversation and includes a mic drop ending. The conclusion and the introduction are graded in the same place here at the top row. Give them a score 
for what they did in your introduction and conclusion here on the top row of their rubric. And then there's style down here, MLA and conventions. Now most people would consider all these things being just grammar, right? But grammar is way different than a style or a perspective violation like first to third person, right? So grammar is simply spelling, punctuation, and your sentence structure. MLA is the formatting of the paper and the formatting of the citations and the titles, right? Style and organization is stuff like perspective, transition language, using annotative verbs instead of Angela Duckworth said, you could say Angela Duckworth highlighted, right? All of the things that just elevate your writing and make them higher level, those are style moments, right? And the organization should be easy. I've already done it for you. I outlined your paper for you and I gave you the outline, right? So as long as they followed this outline in order, then the organization of the paper is locked down because I did it for them, right? So in the organization row, it's the essay is cohesively organized according to the given outline. If anything appears out of order, you got to tell them, hi, that it's got to be in order that I give it to them because I'm trying to teach you. Eventually, you're going to say, write a paper, and they're not going to give you a cute little outline, right? I'm trying to get you to that point where you can look at an assignment not with an outline and be awesome, but until then, I'm going to give you an outline, tell you exactly what I'm looking for until you get that muscle memory for it, right? And then you won't need an outline, and none of your teachers are going to give you one after 2010, right? Um, I just saw like Jackson's assignment description. It was just write a paper about this four to six pages in MLA. That's all it said, right? So these outlines are meant to help you not need me anymore, but you should never expect these right in the future. So giving them a grade for organization and style, that's annotative verbs, that's perspective, first person, third person, second person, that's transition words and phrases. That's that the essay is cohesively organized according to the outline. MLA we've already graded. And then we have a few seconds, I guess, to go through it and double check. Use your finger and scan the whole thing and see if they have any contractions. That's mistake number one. Scan the whole thing and see if they have any contractions. That's two words that were contracted together where the missing letters were replaced by apostrophe. And even if you're not done with the full peer review, this person has enough feedback in order to perfect their paper. I need everyone to stop where you are and look into my eyes. Stop where you are. We're going to get faster at this. We're going to get much better at this. But this is what a peer review feels like. It's going to be much more in-depth the better you get at the, at the small stuff. We spend less time on that. But the most important part of a peer review is you need to walk up to the person whose paper you had. And you need to look them in their eyes and say one thing that you thought was awesome. And then explain anything, any of the feedback that you gave them that they might be confused about. They need to walk out of here today feeling like they know exactly what they need to fix in their paper to get 100% when I grade it. And you have to communicate that feedback in an emotionally intelligent, compassionate, and kind way. So, you know, be a magical unicorn. 
You might not get it perfect, but we're all gonna try. So go ahead, we have two more minutes and they need to have their paper back and their rubric back. You go give it to them. Okay, so we're going to, under today's date in Canvas, right, we're going to where it says citation activity for sources 1.1 and 1.2. So hopefully if we have enough time today, I'm going to preemptively stop you from having big feelings for the citation information for the source that's due next time by working out the citation information before it so we can practice together. But in order to get to that, we have to do the other stuff first. So let's be real focused and real efficient. So you're going to go to where it says 8th period source 1.1. And for now, just put your cursor in the spot where you're supposed to go. Put your cursor in the spot next to your name. Where did I put it? That's the wrong account. Okay, so in order for us to decide the ethos pathos logos, right, in order for us to decide the ethos pathos logos of this documentary, right, what do we have to know and understand before we can even talk about how they use persuasive techniques? Who say what now? So we know that they are trying to persuade, but what was what you said, what they're trying? Yeah. So what, what is their purpose, like what are they trying to persuade you of? But before you can decide what they're trying to get you to believe, what do you have to know and define first? Like it's like an equation, you have to define the values before you can like put it into the equation. Yeah. Yeah, so we have to decide who specifically is our author or our speaker or our persuader. So I saw lots of fun stuff. I saw Sarah Jessica Parker is the author. I saw uh, Nancy Pelosi is the author. I saw the director, Oscar, I think his name is like Oscar Nunez or something, is the author. None of those are correct, and we'll talk about why in a second. But in terms of this paper, you're going to have to analyze the purpose of making the film in the first place and what they wanted to achieve. But first, before you can do that, you have to define who they is. So who is the author of this video? Ideas? So it's not, Sarah Jessica Parker is the narrator. So just as we remember when we watched The Rock in that commercial and we decided that The Rock was not the persuader or the author. He was a tool for ethos being used by the persuader, right? Which was Under Armour, right? In the same exact way, Sarah Jessica Parker in this film is a tool to help persuade the viewers, but she's not the speaker or the persuader. Who is doing the persuading? Yeah. So what we have here is a, what's called an organizational author, meaning that an organization got together and produced this for their own purposes, right? So the author and and in youtube videos you always know the author set part of a youtube video is always right here next to the icon so yeah they are in the author position for this youtube video so they are the author which is kind of weird right 
the thing about citing an organization as an author is that you put their full name in and you don't do any name reversal like you would for a first or last name. So put this author in the author spot next to in, in, your, in your little table box next to your name. We're each going to create our own citation but together. That way I can check for mistakes real quick right across the board. So here is the author here. And once you do that, I forgot to mention, take out your MLA thing. You can either take out your little MLA booklet or the, the yellow MLA packet that I gave you. Either one's good. But do take that out. And turn to this last yellow page here in the booklet or in your big fat packet. Um, I don't see who. Turn to the wherever it says in the big fat packet where it has the order of the elements in a citation. Okay, so we have our author element, right? And the thing about our author is that it's a proper noun, so we need to capitalize every important word in it because not only is it an author name, but it's a title. So you all did it correctly. It's uh, in standardized capitalization, which is again, meaning that every important word is capitalized. But here's the other issue here. Um, some of you have an ampersand, which is the word for this thingamajig, and some of you have the word and. Which is it? So what's really hard to know is that some things you have to translate into MLA format, and some things you have to keep the same, right? But a part of a person's name, you have to keep the same. So um, the, the, the name of the actual committee has an ampersand in it and not the word and. So go ahead and change that real quick, if you have it. And you might be tempted to work ahead, but let's talk through this together, make sure we all understand these elements because there's some weird ones in here. So then, looking at this yellow paper, what punctuation needs to come after the author element? A period. a period. So go ahead and put a period there, and then one space. And then, in the list of elements, what's the next thing that needs to appear? Say again? Title of the, title of the source, right? So the title of the source is simply just in this case it's it, in some cases it's hard to determine the title versus the container but in this case not so much right so the title of the source they've given us right here but there's a colon in it do we just put the first part of the title or the whole thing, whole thing. we put the whole thing if they saw fit to give a double title then we got to put it here's my question though right when we have remember when we talked about the Gilmore Girls episode where we have episode 1.7 the show Gilmore Girls, but then it's all housed on Netflix. Do you remember that? This is the same idea. This video is housed on what database? YouTube. YouTube. So YouTube is the big container. So does it mean that this video is a part of a larger whole or is it the larger whole itself? That was a question. That was a real question. Um, part of a whole. Yes, in a way. So, in on for a YouTube video, sometimes a film title will be just italicized, but for a YouTube video specifically, we're considering it part of a larger whole because it's on a channel technically, right? 
So we're going to put the title in either italics or quotation marks. Which one should it be? Quotations. Why quotations? Because it's the smaller title. Yeah. So we're going to put this title here in quotation marks. And then what punctuation, yeah, you did it right. What punctuation comes after that component? Period goes inside the quotation marks. Gracie and Adele, just got to put that. Yep, good job. This is just a real quick way for me to give you immediate feedback just so we can move through it quickly. Okay, so next, what what's the next component that we need here? The title of the container. What's the title of this container? It's YouTube, right? Just make sure you spell it correctly. And since it's a container, are we going to put it in quotation marks or are we going to italicize it? So YouTube is spelled with no spaces but a capital T for the tube. Yep. And then what punctuation do we put after the container? Mm-hmm. Love it. And then one space. Good, good, good. Here's where stuff gets weird, okay? Here is, it's going to be a rare, but what's our next part in the list for citations? Contributor, right? Or contributors. So it's funny, this video, we could list a lot of contributors, right? But most of the contributors, like Nancy Pelosi, is a part of the ec economic disparity and growth group, right? But we do have very specific contributors that have been mentioned that need to be acknowledged, even though they're not the authors. So who did we think maybe possibly was the author, but it didn't go there? Who else? Remember we were trying, we were, we were like, trying out different names for who would be the author. Some of them didn't work. What were those names? Like Oscar or something. Oscar Nunez, I can't remember, I can't remember what his last name is. I was just sort of filling it in there. Um, but yeah, he's the director. He's definitely another contributor. He's not the author, but he's a significant contributor that needs to be acknowledged. Who else was somebody that we thought might possibly be the author? Right, Sarah Jessica Parker, she clearly had a big contribution to the film. She's not the author, but she is a contributor, right? So the way that we list contributors for sources like this, I could take you to the spot for where it says, but it's so rare that I'm just going to tell you, basically. So let me just show you. So we have two contributors. We have directed by, and then we have narrated by. And you put it in alphabetical order according to the D in directed versus the N in narrator. So which one is going to go first, director or narrator? Right. So the names that we put in this section are going to be in regular order, not reverse, because they're not at the beginning of the citation. So it looks just like that. I put it under Adele's. So we're capitalizing. Make sure we're capitalizing proper nouns, but everything else is lowercase. Directed by, it's Oscar Guerrera. Yikes. It wasn't even close with Nunez. Foof. Um, and we had a lot of people misspelling the names, so make sure the names are spelled correctly as well. And then end that component with a comma. Great, those are our contributors. And then we have a version number and a, a volume number. Do we have either of those for this YouTube video? No. So what do we do with an element that we don't have? What are we supposed to do? What's that? Yeah, we just skip it. So where we are at, dear, is we, if you go into Canvas, 
Oh, you found it? Yeah. Oh, good. Look at you. So, so on top of it. Um, okay, so what is the next, uh, what's the next component that we have after version and number? So the publisher in this case is also YouTube. And when it's both containers twice, then we just omit the second one. So we already have that. And then the publication date, where would we find that? So if you don't click into, it just says eight months ago, you can do the math, but they do offer more specific dates, including a day if you click into the more. So we have our day, month, and year. What order do we put those, those pieces of information in? Smallest to biggest, small, medium, large, day, month, year. And it's really confusing in the big works cited citation, you abbreviate the month name, but in your four line heading, you spell out the full month name. So they just, I know that sometimes I feel like they're confusing just to be confusing, but we don't argue with the MLA. We just, we just, we just toe the line. So we're going to shorten this Gracie to DEC period, DEC period. Yeah. No, it's a comma. And just keep in mind, a comma is when the information for that component is not quite done yet. So all of this is still container information about that YouTube thing. That's why we keep putting commas until it's complete, right? So that's a way to remember it if you don't have this right in front of you. Um, okay, so yes, now we're good. So what information do we put after the date? The location. So if you accessed the source digitally, what kind of location are you always going to have? A digital location, right? It's only if you access the source physically that you put the location as like page numbers within that book and a literal publisher that like printed the book itself, right? So with that being said, we got ourselves a location and if we all try to copy the URL in there at once, it's going to, the document's going to short out. So I'm just going to put it under Adele's here. And you need a period at the end of the URL, but you do need to hyperlink that URL. Um, so sometimes it won't copy over, so you can just highlight it again, click link, and then insert that link. And then I've hyperlinked it all except for the period. So this is, let me just double check. This is a correct citation T to B, top to bottom. All right, so far so good. So now when you're going to put together your Works Cited page, all you need to do is draw this over to your Works Cited page and then make sure to format it correctly. So far so good? So that's what I'm trying to, this is what I'm trying to get you to do when I'm trying to get you to put the pieces of it in your MLA graphic organizer, trying to help you build it so when the time comes to build it, it's not frustrating. You can just transfer it all over. So, <coughs> excuse me. I'm going to talk to you for a moment about this paper itself, which I know you're super excited about. Everyone just calm down. Calm right down. I know you're excited, but just calm down. Um, I'm going to talk to you about this paper in general. Then we're going to try to get our citations going for the next source you have due next time so we can have fewer big feelings about it. Yeah, sound like a plan? I love that for us, for me personally. Okay. This computer decided to betray me. Okay, so for this paper, it looks really big, but take out and 
from in front of you the green uh, the green cardstock paper <clears throat> and turn it to the side that has the outline on it. Okay, so I'm going to give you the short version of the paper and the explanation for the short version of this. And then I'm going to give you the longer, more specific version. So today's we today is the day that we learn about this paper, right? But the basic short version of this paper is just this. You have the documentary. The documentary is the central piece of this paper. The question for this paper is going to be, Yagra is important, but is grit the only factor in success in America? I'm sure you can answer that question right now, right? If I have the same level of grit as somebody who has, you know, $200,000 less net income for their household per year, if we both put in the same amount of grit, are we both going to get the same amount of success? It's just not, it's not going to happen, right? So we have to know that just grit is not the only factor in success. And we have to start looking at the other factors in success because sometimes hard work as much as we wish it were true, just doesn't fix everything. There's other stuff too, right? So basically what this what this paper is about is yes, grit, but also what else? That's basically the point, right? So we have our documentary and what they want you to do is do a rhetorical analysis of the documentary, which is a very fancy way of saying, analyze the way they used ethos, pathos, and logos. That's it, right? So rhetorical analysis always just mean Analyze the way they use ethos, pathos, logos, the author, which is this committee, the, this congressional committee, right? Once we've analyzed the documentary, what we want to do is bring in scholarly sources, and scholarly sources are different than just some article we found on the internet, right? We want to bring in scholarly sources. Can you put your phone away so you're 100% sure here? Scholarly sources that agree with the documentary in some ways, but disagree with the documentary in other ways, right? So then you'll introduce those sources and then highlight ways that the, the, this source compares and contrasts with the documentary. This source compares and contrasts with the documentary. So everything is calling back to that documentary, right? And then a fourth source compares to the documentary. And then if you look at your green outline here, this is the middle, the body of the paper. And then all we do is tag a beautiful introduction, a beautiful so what, who cares here at the bottom, and we have our five to six page paper. So far, so good? Okay, so that's just the short version. Let's talk about the long version, right? <clears throat> it's okay if after today you, you, you're not 100% sure what the crap this paper is. I will walk you through it. There's a lot of information at first. I'm gonna help you build the pieces of a puzzle that you don't even have the full picture of yet until we do it. But the important thing to know is if you take out that four page packet that I gave you last time with the graphic organizer, the graphic organizer on top of that, take that out. What's important to know that I, I've created these graphic organizers to be extremely strategic, right? So everything on this graphic organizer is everything that's required to be in your paper by Weber State, right? So if there's a spot for it on the graphic organizer, assume that that is going to be in your paper, right? So as you can see, the, the rhetorical analysis part for the documentary is graphic organizer number one. You're just going to basically take these pieces from this graphic organizer and sew it together with words, right? 
Um, it asks you to analyze ethos, pathos, and logos. Well, that is the back page of this graphic organizer. Well, what do you know, right? And then we have a graphic organizer for source number two, understanding the source, MLA for the information, and then in the back, it's talking about pulling quotes from that source that agree and disagree with the documentary. So far, so good. And it's the same for the other two sources as well. So you see how you're putting together the puzzle pieces. You don't even really have to see how it goes together yet or understand how it goes together yet. You can still be successful, right? So let's let, just make sure that all these graphic organizers are awesome so when you go to write the paper, future you only has to think about the words and not also the puzzle pieces that the words put together. Does that make sense? So the better you do on these graphic organizers, the happier you're going to be. So it's a five to six page paper. It has to be written. Uh, the basis of it is a rhetorical analysis about the documentary. Um, so again, everything on the graphic organizers is just it. That's the paper. Then we'll just sew it together. Um, the same things that we've been learning this whole time, formal academic writing style, clear and concise writing, MLA, um, really well edited, free of errors in grammar style and formatting, everything we've been learning. Now we're here putting it into the, our first Big Fat Mama, right? So the we'll write this paper in steps, but the most important thing to know is take a look at your green outline. Green outline. So we have an introduction, A, B, C, D, and then a conclusion. We're all looking at that and we're seeing that. You guys are struggling to focus today. And I, I, can, I can sympathize, but you do have to tighten up because we do have to know this stuff, yes? So you see that it's A, B, C, D, and then a conclusion. What we're going to do is write the middle of your paper first, and we'll always do that for these big fat papers. So the middle is just section A, section B, C, and D, then the introduction and the conclusion after. Why would we do that? Does anyone have any ideas about why we do that? Right, exactly. It's hard to write an introduction for a paper you haven't written yet. If you write the paper and then introduce it, it makes it real easy to make sure your introduction encapsulates your whole paper. And same for the conclusion. If you wait to write it at the end, the so what, who cares sort of writes itself. So far, so good? Okay. Um, then we write, so we do each of these sections about each of the sources that corresponds with each of your graphic organizers. And then, well, actually, so sorry. So we're going to do section A, B, and C. And then before section D, what we'll do is we'll stop and we'll collaborate and listen. Nobody? Okay, whatever. <laughs> so only people whose parents taught them well are going to know what that was. But we will stop and collaborate in the form of a peer review. So what we'll do is we'll formally... Pure vanilla ice, you guys, get it together. Um, okay, um, come on now. <laughs> so listen, here the thing is, is that we have to stop in the middle of the paper. Because I don't want you to write the whole paper going down the wrong path, right? It's so much easier for us to write the ship in the middle than it is to write the ship after you've written a whole paper that is not going to score well, right? So we write half of it, we stop, we collaborate, and we listen, it's a peer review, right? And then you write the rest of the paper with a fixed middle. Does that make sense? So then we'll, then we'll do the final source, the section with the final source. And then we'll do the introduction. Then we'll do the conclusion. So what language do you see that's familiar to you in this conclusion here? Yeah, 
So we're jumping around in the book because I'm selecting chapters that you need for certain skills for which paper we're writing at the time, right? So we will do four and five, but you need the chapter seven in order to finish this paper. So far, so good. <laughs> it's just always such a pained look. I love that. It's going to be fine. What did I tell you about the paper length? Do you remember what I said about the length of the paper? Yes, but... Well, it does matter how long it is. If it does not meet the five-page minimum, they will not give you credit for the class. That is for reals. What did I say? Yeah. Right. It will be the least of your worries if you do what I tell you to do. The page length will just create itself, and all of a sudden you'll be like, oh, I just wrote a six-page paper, and it wasn't even that hard. That's because you wrote 40% of it before you even started writing because I made you do graphic organizers. You understand that, right? Like you've already, you will already have written the half the paper before you write it. Yes, you get it. Okay. So uh, then we're going to compile work cited, which we're already doing bit by bit, little by little, right? And then we'll go, th we'll go through all of the peer review steps. We'll talk about formally introducing sources and we'll get her did, right? It won't be that bad of a paper, I promise. The thing about it is though, is that the sources are kind of heavy because they're all scholarly sources. So take the three sources that you picked up today. Pick the, put those out in front of you. We'll talk about those for a smidge. These sources are also available on Canvas for you. But what do you notice about these three sources specifically? You'll see a number two, a number three, and a number four. What do you notice about those? Even just by the titles. Right. So we're going to, it's fun to talk about grit and it's all well and good that we're all gritty. But at the end of the day, we could all have the same amount of grit and get different levels of success because of these other factors. Right? So each of these sources has something different to say about yes, grit, but also dot, dot, dot. Right? So that's why each of these sources has been selected and they're in order based on how easily they are to compare and contrast with the documentary. So far so good? So let's take a look at this first additional source, source two. Go to that and tell me what you notice about it. What do we notice? It's by Duckworth. Where do we know her from? We, you see how like everything is meant to prepare you for the topic. Like you understand what's been, what's happened here. Yes. Okay, good. Just checking. So now instead of the TED talk, which is basically an overview of her theories, we're going to get specific about her theories. But so she has a book called Grit, right? But we are only going to use one chapter from this book as our source, as one of our sources for this paper, right? So we need to figure out how to cite this specific book. Let's do that together so you don't have any big feelings about it over the weekend. Sound like a plan? Okay. So who is our author? Oh, one thing I did forget to tell you. We'll get to that in a second. But uh, Say again? You what? Oh. So it's looking like it's like... 
The privilege of grace. So I have one extra copy, but here's the thing. Like, I don't know why there wouldn't be. Does anybody have two copies on accidents? Yeah, there's no support. Okay, pause. So I'm going to make copies for you, but also I have one here. I'm going to make copies. <laughs> so many. Um, I'm going to make copies, but then, oh, there's two Source 4s, you guys. Oh, that's amazing. Look at it. Thank you. Okay, yay. But you both have Source 3 too, right? Yeah. Uh-oh. 3, 2, uh-oh. Okay, so we at least know how to put this author's name in because you've done it before. Let's go ahead and put this author's name in. But if you forgot, the citation information from this book, what I did was I literally just copied this uh, citation page right here. That's where you're going to get all your citation information from this book. You have a copy of that, right? So first we put her name in. Missing that, ooh, Andela, that's a nice name, but it's not the right one. I don't hate it. Looks good. We've done this before. Okay. So looking at this white page again, what is our next component after the author's name? You all have to actually look at it because there will be a time when I'm not walking you through this, right? So you got to go through the motions even if you don't want to, right? Just trying to help you do this process so when you're alone, you don't cry, cry, cries. Or at least you cry less. That's the goal, right? So what's the next, the next thing, the next component of this citation after the author name? Here's my question. Our source is not this whole book, though. It's only a chapter of it. So like a Gilmore Girls episode, right? We got a chapter, which is like the episode number and title. Then we have the full show, which is the full book. But then we have the larger container for all of that, which is Netflix for Gilmore Girls. But what's the larger container for this book? The publisher that publishes this book and many other books. So it follows the same pattern, small, medium, large container, no matter what type of source we're working through, right? So with that being said, we have chapter, book, and publisher. We go small, medium, large. Which one goes first? Chapter. So the title of the chapter goes first. Are we going to put the title of that chapter in quotation marks or italics? Quotation marks, why? It's part of a larger whole. Yes. And what, what punctuation do we put at the end of the title component? Period. A period. Does a period go inside or outside the quotation marks? Inside. There are exceptions to that, but we haven't got there yet. So. Mm -hmm. so then, after the title of the Gilmore Girls episode, we need the title of the whole show or the whole book, which is what? So here's my question. There's other words down here, and I can't tell if this is actually part of the title. Where could I go to figure out what the real full title is of this book? Gilmore Girls. That does have a lot of life answers, but not this one. So you got to go back to this citation page info and look for the full title on that. You might have to weed through a lot of information here.
So what's the full title? So grit, the power of passion. Here's my question. If you look at how it's written here, nothing is capitalized in the secondary title. Do we do it the way they wrote it here or the way that MLA asked us to do it with standardized capitalization? Which one do we do? So with title capitalization, we convert it to MLA every time. But for things like an ampersand, we keep it the way they had it. So it's weird. Some things you keep, some things you switch, and it's really hard to know which. <laughs> I made a rhyme. Thank you for that pity laugh. I appreciate it. Make sure to capitalize. Yep. And the whole title is italicized. Ooh, that's a real, it's getting you. Sandra, it's really getting you. That capitalization really got you. You had to go back a couple times. It really got you. And then we end the book piece, the title of the book piece, with what punctuation? So the title of the book is the container itself, right? So what, what, what punctuation do we put after the container? Comma. The reason you would put a comma, the best way to remember it is the information about this book, this container, is not done. You're not done with the information about this. So anytime you're not fully done, you put a comma. Anytime you're fully done, you put a period, right? So when we look at this, we have our container. Do we have um, contributors for this? A special editor, someone writing a foreword. No contributor information, right, Riker? No. And then, uh, do we have a version and a volume number for this? Um, no. Okay, so what do we do when we don't have that information? You just skip it, right? So look on this citation page to find the publisher info. It's a little bit tricky, so I want to see if you can use your smarts to find that. Will you shut that door for me? People be chatty. I don't blame them. You can remove that magnet. Yeah, yeah, thanks. Is it the Simon and Schuster? So it's Simon and Schuster, right? And here's why we know that. It says, all rights reserved. Uh, oh, just kidding. It says Shribner, which you might think Shribner is the, the publisher. It's not. Shribner and Design are registered trademarks of the Gale Group Incorporated, used under license by... They're all under the umbrella of Simon & Schuster Incorporated. But anytime we have an incorporated behind a title, we leave the incorporated part or the LLC part or any type of suffix like that off. So for your publisher, you're just going to put Simon & Schuster and end it with what punctuation? Are we going to keep the ampersand or are we going to turn the ampersand into the word and? got to keep it because it's their name capitalize both but we don't italicize the publisher yeah and then what punctuation do we follow after comma right and so see where you can find on the citation page where do you find the, the date the publication date Marshall, honey, you got to be doing this with us. Do you want to take a quick walk, get a drink? I believe in you. What's that? Uh, it says copyright 2016. So it says copyright 2016, but we do have a date of August 2018 for this paperback edition. So we want to give the date of this edition. 
So we have August 2018 as our date. But remember, in the works cited, we abbreviate the month name, not to be confused with writing out the full month name what's in, when it's in the four line heading. Not confusing at all, right? <laughs> it's crystal clear. Um, and then we put a comma behind that. And then, so if it's a digital source, right? If it's a digital source, we have a digital location. What if it's a physical source? The location is the literal location in the literal book, which is a page number. So go ahead and look in your chapter and find a page range. Yep, I heard it, 35 to 51. And the way that we do that, so Adele, you have it almost right, but multiple page numbers means a page range, which is indicated by PP dot space page range end with a period. So no space in between. So for your dash, Adele, you got to take out those spaces. Yeah. Yep. And then put a period because now your citation is officially done. That's so fun, right, guys? Have you ever had more fun ever? Don't answer. Right? Look at how cute she is. But then you don't have to uh, cry about it, you know, like you had big feelings for the first one. But my question is, what about the in-text citation for these, these little citations that we've done today? What is the in-text citation going to look like for a source that doesn't have an author? It has an organization as the author. What is that citation going to look like? The in-text citation. So the rule for an organizational author is to make your in-text citation just the first few words of the organization, no comma, then timestamp or timestamp range. So double check that your in-text citation on your graphic organizer for source number one looks like this. I have never seen you guys so sleepy. Just a long week. You didn't get a lot of sleep because you had the extra day and you thought you were going to live forever, right? So you didn't sleep, and now you, I get it. I did the exact same thing, you guys. So I watched a whole movie last night for no good reason. Poor time management. So poor. And so our in-text citation for the Duckworth book is super straightforward, right? It's just author last name, no comma, no P dot, no PG dot, no PP dot, none of that and just the page number that the quote happened on. Or if the quote happened on more than one page, you can do a page range as well if your heart tells you to. We feeling better about that? Ish? Okay, so my big question for you is, from that, that graphic organizer, I saw some funky things. Um, some of you weren't quite sure on the specifics of the first graphic organizer. It's a difficult one. So the deal I always make with this one is we talk about it and then you can go fix it and resubmit it and I'll just grade the second one. Now that you fixed the MLA on it, am I right? You all just fixed the MLA, I love that for you. Um, and now we're gonna fix like the components of it. So what parts of that 1.1 graphic organizer for the documentary, what parts of that felt confusing or not super solid for you? Yeah. Um, so on the website, 
I thought it would have been like the title of the video, but then I saw it said like use italics and end with a end with a comma. So would that be YouTube? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So YouTube can be the publisher and the container. And in the case that it's both, you just leave it the first one and leave out the second one. You don't double dip. Yeah. Um, but what about the like conceptual parts of the graphic organizer? I think, what do you think in terms of ethos, pathos, logos was the hardest for you to find in this documentary? Logos, right? Why? Why was it the hardest for you to find? And I think a better question is, was the documentary a fully unbiased documentary? So we can definitely say that it was biased, yeah. right? Why was it biased? What made it biased? Um, it was created by the economic disparity and fairness. In well, here's what they might say. That committee is made up of both sides of the aisle, Republicans and Democrats. So why is it still biased? Um, well, I wrote that uh, they were going to try to make everything in the documentary seem like it was unfair when maybe it's just a normal part of life. True, right? Um, they did only show kind of like the real struggle side of it. When we know there are people in the American economy that really don't have to use a lot of grit to have exactly what they were striving for in the video, right? There is another side to this, and being American really does have its perks if you live in the right area, if you live in the right tax bracket, if there's so many if, if, ifs, right? And those ifs are what this paper is about, right? So it definitely was biased. Uh, there was a few indicators in here about like, there are people who have lived that American dream and they've rode that pony real, real hard, right? One was even mentioned in the video itself. What did the glass guy say that he was trying to compete against? Amazon, Amazon right? If that's not a picture of the American dream, I don't know what else is from garage to billions, right? So there is another side to this argument, but I do think that the film was trying to show that it's just not the same for everybody, and not everybody has the same access to that dream. That is true, right? But they did show people who really, really came from a struggle situation. So there is bias there. What about also, uh, so we're talking about the logos. Where did you find logos in this? Some of you were looking, looking pretty weak on the logos end, yeah. My parents were there. How many uh, tamales she sold, or like the year that she bought her house and when things started to turn out for her. Um, and then I didn't catch, I didn't go back and watch this. So this is a, oh sorry, go ahead, sorry, yes, sorry, go ahead. This is a common mistake about logos, right? Logos doesn't just have to be about numbers, right? What? Did I do something funny? You just cut it off. Oh, I thought, did I say go ahead? You guys, it's been a long day. So unpause. You go ahead. No, I mean it this time. I mean it. I mean it. I mean it. I mean it. What else were you going to say, though? Did you have stuff that wasn't numbers? No. Right. So that... That is the common, that's the common misconception with logos, right? It doesn't have to be just data. It doesn't have to be just statistics, right? It can also be logical arguments that make your arguments obvious and readable to, the, to your audience, right? And the, it's, it, 
everything is just structured in a really logical way. There's also some logos here when we talk about, this is pretty simple too. Um, when we turn on the news, people, the Parker, we're living through one of the most polarizing times in our history. And one of our problems is that the American dream is out of reach for too many people. So, the wealthiest country in the world, most people are struggling economically. So that's logos right there, right? That's the impetus for this video is that for the wealthiest uh, country in the world, we have a really disparate amount of people and families struggling economically. Mo way more than any, any other first world country in the world, right? So we clearly have an issue, they're trying to address it. So that is a very logical moment here where this Democrat dude is talking about how there's a disconnect and that's a logical disconnect, right? What other logos did you guys find? Yeah, college is expensive, you guys. It's really expensive. Yeah. Um, well, I don't know if this was exempted, but I just said they started with somebody like talking about a problem and they backed it up with people, like real life examples, and then they ended it with somebody like putting it all together. So you can talk about literally just the logical order of ideas. Here's the problem. Here's what the problem looks like on an individual basis. Let's restate the problem and offer some sort of solution or invitation at the end. Yeah, so that's logical. Um, another Logos thing that somebody pointed out was the, the glass dude. They were saying that the infrastructure is bad where they were, so they had a hard time creating their online business because no Wi-Fi, but they couldn't move because their son's benefits were attached to the state that they were in, right? So that's a logical rock and a hard place for these people, and that makes a lot of sense on both sides why they're in that position, right? Other Logos stuff? I did find that Logos was the hardest thing for sure. Yeah. Um, I don't know if this is exactly Logos, but I put the like last guy, he said that they received state support, but it still wasn't like enough to cover the whole school bills for the month. Sure, okay, yeah. So any data, numbers, actual facts that speak to their overall message, right? So by the way, what do you think their overall message was? In essence, what do they want from the audience? Before that, who is their target audience? So if you were, again, so the who cares is, right, is what we're trying to identify here. So if you put Americans as a who cares, that's way too broad, that would be a no-go for me. It has to be specific. So how can you make that more specific? It's not all Americans, right? What is who's the target audience? Yeah. Um, but you just like people who aren't struggling so they can join the community and help those people. Right, because people who aren't struggling might not even know that people are struggling at this level, right? And sometimes it's less of a I don't want to know the truth and more of I just haven't been exposed to the truth sort of thing, right? Um, in other words, maybe the target audience is the Americans of that old-fashioned mindset where if you just work hard enough, you can get what you want. 
because that isn't true for these people. These people all worked extremely hard and still might not have exactly what they're looking for, right? Grit was not the problem for these people. They had other factors in their lives that made it hard for them to achieve their goals even with that grit, right? So maybe the target audience is Americans who think that grit is the only recipe for success. That's all you need, right? If you just work hard, we'll fix it, yeah. yeah but at the same time, the, um, the tamale lady and the black guy both kind of reached their goals. Kind of, but the black guy, he says he's still in debt, right? He says he still can't, he's still, he's still in the middle of it. We didn't get really a, a, an end. Right? right? He says, I'm getting these contracts, but sometimes the bills come due before I'm paid for the contracts. He still is living in the red, right? Mm -hmm. Instead of the black. I just think, like, I don't know, it shows that they kind of, from where they were at the start, and right. where they are now, it's a completely different world. Like, he, he started his own business, it's, it's successful, he lost a bunch of weight. Somali lady went from 24000 to 40000 in production, whatever. Um, Thanks to me and my one-time $40 purchase. So so what's stopping us from making the argument that the documentary is showing people that grit does take you places? Right, so what about that? What about the grit? Where I don't think the argument ever was that grit isn't great, right? I don't think anybody is saying that grit doesn't equal success. I think the question here is grit plus what? Because grit can't just be the only thing. Right? Because again, if I have the same level of grit as a family who's making $50,000 a year, if we both work, have the same amount of grit, and we both work hard, are we still going to have the same amount of success? It, it does depend. And the, what it depends on is what the paper's about. Right? So, um, what, what, so the audience is people who think that hard work is just the end of it, right? The target audience is people who are in middle and upper class positions socioeconomically within the society. Is the target audience people who are marginalized or people who are struggling economically? Do you think this video is for them? I don't think it was made for them, but I do think it was kind of, it's kind of validating if like you are currently from a family who's working really hard and still struggling economically, it's validating to know that it's not just you, that it's a thing. It's a phenomenon in America that we're dealing with right now. So maybe that's a part of the target audience too, but for a different reason. So what do they want from their audience? What are they trying to convince you to do? Who thinks they came up with a good answer for that? Yeah? I don't know. Mine's just different than you said. I just said that like they want people to almost like, like they're in a position of power and they have to keep getting voted in. So number one, they could be like looking for votes or looking for money. Mm -hmm. to help them with their cause, with their cause. Yeah. absolutely um, if you take a look usually what they want from you is always at the end so take a look at what they are looking for right from the person sometimes they're not looking they might want your vote they're not saying it but there is specific things that they are saying that they want from you it's about limitless ambition and opportunities those are can dream her own and that's how many see this ideal today. It's not just the white picket fence and a nice home. It's wanting something and then being able to work toward it. It's about limitless ambition and opportunities to succeed. The American. So do you think they are trying to convince you to be a part of that 
limitless ambition, that drive to succeed? It seems like it. That could be part of it, absolutely. I don't think it's the whole thing, but I definitely think that they want their audience to tap into their grit a little more and be a part of that, right? The dream is for a lot of people lost, but I won't give up on it. I think that idea of not giving up on the American dream, maybe just redefining it a little bit. Maybe it doesn't look exactly like that. Oh my gosh. Um, okay. That's my little one. She has a gab watch. She calls me on her gab watch. Um, <laughs> right? So it's time as a nation, this is where they're, it's what they're, we call their call to action, right? It's time as a nation to recognize what? It's time as a nation to recognize the strength and humanity of those working toward their American dream. So maybe they also want us to take a look at people who might live that American dream differently than us, but recognize and respect their efforts toward their American dream and them working toward it in their way, right? It doesn't have to be the exact same for everybody. And to understand, whatever our division, we are still one people. Can we achieve the human dignity that no matter where you come from, what language you speak, what culture you're a part of, that you can build a life for your family that's stable and a legacy to leave behind them? A legacy of grit and grace. So we can and i think part of it is that they they want their audience to become a part of that legacy of grit and grace right to allow others to pursue their american dream and allow you to do the same um so right there's a lot of things that they want from their viewer that's what i saw there at least right there's a few different things that they're asking from you right Okay, so any other things about this graphic organizer that felt hard to answer? Because again, we got to get this right because this is going to turn into your paper. So what else feels hard to answer about this? You guys feel like you have it on lock? No. I love that. No. I'm working on it. Oh, okay. Because we can talk through any of the other fields on your graphic organizer if you feel like you need to but just remember you can resubmit it and the other thing that I see you just one hot second I was I, this is the thing I don't want to forget to say so this assignment this graphic organizer is so far we've only been working in 15 this 15 percent of your grade area so far it's always it's just been those activities and formative assignments this assignment is the first one of five that are going to go in your documentary review assignment uh, section which is 20% of your grade but we only have that 20% and that 15% here for midterm so what was 15 and 20% is now like I don't know 65 and right 65 and 45 somewhere around there the 20% becomes half of your grade essentially so essentially right now this one assignment is half of your grade until we finish this paper and start getting bigger percentages of your grade you see why? So this one 10-point assignment could bring your grade from a B to a D if it's not good, which has already happened. That's why I'm warning you about it, right? So just until we get more assignments in that 20% of your grade percentage, she's heavy. She is heavy for a bit. 
So that's why I'm trying to make sure that this is done well and done correctly. So when you turn it in, it doesn't tank your grade with one assignment temporarily. Yeah. Don't you think you 